We're looking tonight at the concluding verses of Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 40. And uh, my first heading is this, the task that is beyond the writer. And I nearly feel like saying the task that is beyond the preacher. Because when you look at the catalogue of events and people there from verses 32 to 40, uh, and think as how you can present that, how you can preach on such a wide range uh, it's it's beyond I think it's beyond I would imagine most preachers in the case of the writer uh, the reason why he feels the task is beyond him is that the time would fail to tell of all those who through faith did these different exploits everything that all these people accomplished was by faith And in a way, we can simplify the point here and say, basically, for every Christian, true Christian, for everything that every true Christian does uh, in God's sight, it is by faith. And so really what we have here is the whole immense Everest of all the works done by Christian believers for the glory of God. Anything that has been accomplished has been accomplished by faith. And the fact that he uh, is just picking out people here, it's very spontaneous. This is a letter, it's not a systematic treatise. The fact that he's picking out people spontaneously uh, and he gets to the point of having mentioned David and Samuel and the prophets, he's just become general as opposed to specific. And, And therefore, we have to say that there is a big lesson here. It's the obvious lesson that the whole Christian life is by faith, the true Christian life. That's very different from how people think of it who are not Christians, true Christians. They think of it as by works. And we can understand why they think like that, because love and good works and loving our neighbor and loving God and doing things out of that love is extremely important, but it's not the root It's the fruit, Uh, whereas it's faith which is the root. We are saved by faith. Uh, As it says in Galatians 3, that no one is justified by the law. And this is evident in the sight of God, for the just shall live by faith. We're saved by faith, we're justified by faith, and then we continue the Christian life. By faith. In Galatians 5, it says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. There you get the root producing the fruit. Faith showing itself through love. And the whole Christian life, right through to the end, as Hebrews, this, this last section of Hebrews 11 makes clear, right through to death, is to be lived by faith. It's an obvious lesson, but it's one we cannot repeat to ourselves and dwell with often enough. And also there's another incidental point here that we pick up, which is that under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament era, there were a great number of believers. I think uh, sometimes we, we, we rightly stress that under the New Covenant, Everybody within that covenant has God's law written on their heart and therefore they are in Christ. 
Uh, and, and at the same time, we say under the old covenant, which was a covenant of works, uh, that was not the case. There were many who were not in Christ. But having said that, let's not lose sight of the fact that there were also a great number of true believers under the Old Testament who in their own way, using the types, the typology of the Old Testament, using the various helps and anticipations and pictures of the coming Christ and of his sacrificial death on the cross for them, they put their trust in the Messiah, in the Savior, and they uh, therefore were true believers. And as part of that lesson, we see that even though their understanding was clearly limited by the day in which they lived, by the fact that Jesus Christ hadn't yet come to earth, as it makes clear at the end of this chapter, that there was something better being provided for us, and they weren't yet in that era, but even so, their faith was often so strong and enabled them to do such great things. And it humbles us that we who live in gospel times, we who live with such revelation of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, uh, and of the Holy Spirit and the Father, the triune God, and all of it through the, the saving work and mediatorship of Christ, that we who have all that for us, yet so often uh, we're very weak, aren't we? we? We're humbled here. So firstly, the task that is beyond the writer. Secondly, the persons he names. He does name some. Uh, he names some from the book of Judges. I just want to really take us through the passage. I've got, I've got no slick way, really, of dividing this up. I wish I had, but I just couldn't think of anything. So let's just go through it sequentially uh, and firstly look at the persons he names. There's Gideon. Gideon, who you remember... Uh, was a very humble person. Uh, when the angel said to him, uh, Hail, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor, he was astonished. He could hardly believe that he was the one to lead Israel. But the angel of the Lord assured him of his success and he confirmed it by causing fire to come out of the rock and consume the sacrifice. And so Gideon went out against the Midianites and by faith, it was a step of faith, of course, he reduced his army from 32,000 to just 300 in two steps. Firstly, giving uh, a warning that if anyone was fearful, they should go home. That lost 10,000. But then the matter of how they drank the water uh, and whether or not they lapped the water up uh, that reduced it to 300. Of course, it was an act, a huge act of faith to send that 300 against the hundreds of thousands of Midianites, not particularly armed with weapons either, but just with lamps and pitchers, and to shout the sword of the Lord and Gideon. But through that, God defeated the army of the Midianites. And so faith did a great thing there. And we notice, as we think of Gideon, just what a humble and meek man he was. Judges 8 tells us how he averted civil war between uh, the uh, tribe of Ephraim and the others because the Ephraimites were very jealous, but he, uh, he averted that. It tells us how he, denied, he, he wouldn't accept dynastic leadership for himself, for his son and his grandson. He said, no, it's, that's not the way. And so faith 
we could say, yes, what does faith uh, tell us? Well, Gideon obviously was a man of faith, but faith also produces humility. Pride is an enemy to faith. And then we have Barak. The reason we had the reading from Judges 4 was perhaps because we might not know so much about Barak. Uh, and we read in Judges 4 that he was used by God to deliver Israel out of the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. And he received his commission and instructions from Deborah, the prophetess. And there was a great victory over the host of Sisera, although in the end it was Jael, uh, the woman Jael, who actually killed Sisera. You remember she uh, gave him, uh, when he fled from the battle, she gave him milk and curds in her tent. He went to sleep and she rammed a, a tent peg through his head. Uh, but it was by faith that he achieved that victory. We might think, well, a tremendous victory. He was obviously a great soldier, but no, the Bible says it was through faith that that was accomplished. And then Samson, who delivered Israel from the Philistines, you can read about that in Judges 13 to 16. Um, if uh, he had a strong arm, a strong uh, uh, strength, but he wouldn't have done what he did if it wasn't a strong faith. Uh, that was how he overcame the lion that roared at him and, and pounced, wanted to pounce on him, and he ripped it apart. That's how he did it, by faith in God. We tend to think, well, these are great men. They do great things. Well, actually, what they did, they did by faith. And then Jephthah. Interesting that Jephthah is included here. Judges 11 tells us about him, how he delivered Israel from the Ammonites. And God uses the most unlikely people. Christians are very unlikely people. Uh, we're not great and important. By and large, we're just ordinary little people, but God uses us. And Jephthah, as Judges 11 verse 1 tells us, was he was the son of a harlot. And yet he walked with God and let me just read one verse from Judges 11, uh, verse 11, concerning Jephthah. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. He was relating to God. It was God he was answerable to. That's what faith does in our hearts. And then David, a man after God's own heart. And we know what happened between him and Goliath. We know that that whole confrontation in 1 Samuel 17 was the working of faith in this young man. As David says to Goliath, you've come to me with your, uh, with your armor and all of that, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he takes just five smooth stones from the brook and a shep in a shepherd's bag and a sling. And the Philistine is insulted by this. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And he curses David by his gods. And David says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, 
the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. Did he say that because of bravado? Because he was a brazen sort of person? No, it was faith in his heart. These are things that the Hebrew Christians need to hear because they're so depressed and discouraged and so lacking backbone. They need to hear again about what God did through these people, not because they were more clever or more strong or more wise than anybody else, but it was because faith was at work in their hearts and Samuel and the prophets too. But let us notice one thing about the persons he names. Many of them were flawed. Many of them had faults. If God had just picked, as it were, the cream out of all these Old Testament believers, you know, the ones of whom nothing wrong was said, we might be completely discouraged and say, well, there's no hope for me to be used. But Gideon, yes, he was a humble man and he did refuse dynastic leadership. But remember, he crumbled a little bit towards the end and he accepted the jewels of the people of Israel and with it he made an ephod and that ephod became something that people began to worship. It became a snare. And then Barak, well, we read about his flaw, even in the reading, that because he, his, he had faith in God, but it wasn't 100%. He said, I'm, you must come with me, Deborah. And she said, okay, I'll come with you. You'll get the victory, but God will deliver the enemy into a woman's hands. And then Samson, well, you can read the story of Samson, and you know he had many flaws. And Jephthah, Jephthah, and that rash vow, which resulted in uh, his daughter becoming the casualty of that rash vow. David and his sin with Bathsheba and his sin against Uriah the Hittite, they had faults and flaws, and yet God's, as it were, he just wipes that out and says, in spite of their faults, because they did what they did by faith, because they were looking to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, ultimately, because it, they were covered with his righteousness, his righteousness was imputed to them, I accept them for their faith. Now, if they did, if God did that with them, he can do it with you Hebrews. And he can do it with us. He can accept us in spite of our faults, in spite of our failures and follies. If our trust is in Christ, if Christ is your righteousness, the past is past. Press on to the future and God will yet bless and use you. The people he mentions. And then thirdly, the things they accomplished. What things these are. And of course, we cannot do anything other than scan quickly over what they accomplished. They subdued kingdoms. So David, Solomon, Joshua, the judges, the other godly kings of Israel and Judah. Uh, many of them were used literally to subdue kingdoms, whole nations around them. Edom, the Philistines, the Midianites, uh, the Assyrians. And a casual reading of the Old Testament scriptures would say, well, that was just one of those occasions when the Israelite army was better handled, uh, they had more morale, they were trusting in God, and so God gave them the victory. And we forget that everything they accomplished in subduing those kingdoms 
was through faith. That's a good lesson for us today, is it not, friends? As we think of the people of God being opposed by rulers and regimes throughout the world, as we think of secularism and Islamism and many other political and religious forces that oppose the gospel, and in our land too, and we realize that we're not going to overcome just simply by marketing techniques or being slicker about how we do things or more media savvy and that kind of thing. It's only as we look to God and through faith in him we're going to conquer. They subdue kingdoms. They wrought righteousness. Uh, there may be two ways to take that phrase. The commentators tell us it could mean political righteousness in the sense that the nation of Israel was to keep the law of Moses and certain of the kings, particularly Hezekiah and Josiah, uh, were used to bring the people back to keeping the law of Moses, turning them from idolatry to righteousness. Or it could mean simply personally they believed God and therefore they personally uh, acted righteously towards God and man. But however, probably both are implied. They wrought righteousness. Matthew Henry says, it is a greater honor and happiness to work righteousness than to work miracles. Greater honor and happiness to work righteousness than to work miracles. They obtained promises. So they had the blessing of the promises, but also they got hold of the promises and they believed them. This is something that has already been mentioned by the writer to the Hebrew Christians in chapter 6, verse 12. He desires that they might show a diligence and that they do not become sluggish, lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So whatever is facing you and me, however bad things are, we have a book which is packed full of precious promises. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can work out which promise to plead before God in our particular situation. They obtained the promises. They believed them and then they obtained the comfort of them and the fulfillment of them. They stopped the mouths of lions. Samson did. Uh, David did when he was a shepherd. Uh, and Daniel did in the lion's den. Because God is more powerful than any wild animal or wild man for that matter. They quenched the violence of fire. Uh, Ian preached this morning on Numbers 11. Uh, did you notice at the beginning of Numbers 11, there's one perhaps less well-known example of God's servant quenching, the violent, quenching fire. Numbers 11, verses 1 to 2. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. It's exactly the same phraseology. Perhaps this was the exact 
situation that the writer to the Hebrews was thinking about. Moses' faith in God led to the quenching of that fire of judgment. We often think of Daniel, don't we? Or at least the book of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego there in the burning fiery furnace so hot that even the people who throw these three into the furnace, they perish because of the heat. And yet when they come out of the furnace, there's not even the smell of the fire upon their clothes. And what a demonstration that was. Uh, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. Notice their faith is in God. And notice that even if God doesn't do what they knew he can do, they were still not going to worship the golden image. Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury, causes them to be cast into the midst. Uh, The furnace exceedingly hot, and yet there they are in the midst, and one like unto the Son of God is there with them. Perhaps you're in a fire of temptation and difficulty, and if you had eyes to see it, the Lord Jesus is with you in that fire. They escape the edge of the sword. David and the sword of Goliath. Mordecai and the Jews and the sword of Haman. We could go on uh, of those occasions when through faith Christians have been delivered or Old Testament believers delivered from the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong. That could uh, apply to Hezekiah's sickness in Isaiah 38 when God healed him, gave him more years. I think it was 10 more years to his life in Isaiah 38 through his prayer and Isaiah comes and tells him that God has heard his prayer or it could refer to national weakness Uh, the Jews were weak in in their faith and in their love for God and yet God revived them and through faith they were revived as, as the remnant laid hold on God and prayed and asked him to revive them you get that for example in Psalm 80 Let me just read a few verses from Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubims, shine forth. Before Ephraim, Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. And he goes on to say how uh, at this present time it seems as though God is angry against the prayer of his people. He feeds them with the bread of tears. He makes them a laughing stock, and they're at war amongst themselves. Uh, you made us a strife to our neighbors. And yet, you see that the writer, the psalmist, you see his faith. He knows that God can restore the situation. That's how we should face our present difficulties and lack of revival at this time. We, we have problems, we have weaknesses. But God is the same. God is the same God who can restore us and cause his face to shine upon us and we shall be saved. One commandment from him who does all things well, whose every act pure blessing is, whose path is unsullied light. One word 
from the throne and the whole situation in our nation could be turned around in a moment. In a Sunday, when God, if God chooses to act, out of weakness they were made strong. Perhaps you were weak in yourself, and yet God says, my grace is sufficient for you. When I am weak, says Paul, then am I strong. They grew valiant in, flight, in fight. They put to flight the armies of the aliens, Women receive their dead raised to life again. So we have the widow of Zarephath through Elijah. We have the Shunammite woman through Elisha. Both received their dead children to life again. So the things that God accomplished through faith. And then next we have the pain they endured through faith. Now this would be really speaking to the Hebrew situation because they didn't want the pain. They didn't mind so much, but they couldn't take the extreme trials. Uh, Didn't mind some trials, perhaps, but they just didn't want the real trials. So once the economic deprivations began to bite, once things really began to look as though they were going to have to resist unto blood, that was when they were getting weak at the knees, but the writer reminds them of the pain that people endured through faith. So uh, others were, women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. It's thought that quite a lot of what he says here in these next two or three verses has reference to the era of the Maccabees, that's intertestamental between the Old Testament and New Testament, when the Jewish people were severely persecuted by Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, And you get more on that in Daniel chapter 11. And Antiochus Epiphanes uh, and his Syrian uh, cohorts were beyond words brutal and cruel to the Jewish Uh, believers at that time and some of the things that are said here uh, could have reference to that occasion still others had trial of mockings and scourgings yes of chains and imprisonment they were stoned they were sawn in two there may be a reference there at least tradition says so to Isaiah the prophet Isaiah the tradition has it that he was sawn in two by the order of King Manasseh They were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And you think, well, I couldn't go through that. I couldn't stand. Well, of course, none of us can. But God can help us to stand because it's by faith. It's not by will worship. It's not by determining in your mind you're not going to do it and fasting and praying to that end. No, it's by faith. It's by looking to him who has all power in heaven and in earth. That's how they endure. That's how our brothers and sisters in northern Nigeria and in Afghanistan and North Korea are enduring. It's not because they are better uh, at taking the pain than we are. It's because their faith is in God and God supplies. And God gives, gives grace at the time. Not when you're thinking about it, but when you're going through it. 
We notice, by the way, the sheer inventiveness of cruelty that comes out in these verses and just how far the malice of the wicked will go. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. That suggests they weren't able to get clothes, normal clothes, which suggests that they weren't allowed to trade. And there are stories in the martyrdom accounts in this country during the time of the Lollards of people refusing to trade with evangelical believers. And you can think what that, if your grocer won't sell you food, if the person who makes the clothes won't sell you clothes, where does that leave you after uh, a considerable time? It's a death sentence. They wandered about being destitute, afflicted, tormented in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. They had no clothes to wear, so they had to wear the skin of slain animals. They were driven out of their communities, so they had to live in dens and caves. And it doesn't just happen in Middle Eastern-type countries. These things have happened in the West in past times. But notice what sufferings faith can help us to endure. The wickedness here is utterly astonishing, but the grace of God to enable believers to, to pull through is even more astonishing. And then finally, the honor they obtained. And they have this honor recorded by the Holy Spirit in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. God accords this medal, as it were, this great credit to his people who walk by faith and who turn their back on the world and look to Jesus. He says, the world doesn't deserve you. The world doesn't know how to value you and it doesn't deserve you. And although they think that you're not worthy of them, in fact, God declares that the world is not worthy of you. And secondly, we read in verse 39, they obtained a good report. They obtained a good testimony, a testimony of the truth through faith. Now, they didn't get a good testimony from their enemies and persecutors, but perhaps they did in this sense that the conscience of their persecuting enemies would actually be on their side. And they, in effect, they were putting them to shame, at least at the level of conscience. They obtained a good testimony through faith. And then thirdly, we see the honor they obtained. They had a right to the promises, or at least they did not receive the final promise of the new covenant era, but they did receive the types, they did receive the shadows, and they did therefore have blessings. They discovered this precious faith which the writer has been talking about. And yet, you notice how he ends, because his great theme is not just to go through uh, an Old Testament uh, Sunday school story for his uh, readers and hearers. He's applying it, and he's saying, they did not receive the promise, 
God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What a description of the gospel age in which we live and of the gospel blessings which we experience. Something better. And that would really hit home to these Christians who were hankering back for the priesthood and the robes, the gorgeous robes and the wonderful temple building and all the ceremonial. And he says, you've got something better. You've got a better high priest. You've got a better sacrifice. You've got a better hope. And that is true, is it not, brothers and sisters in Christ? God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. I always think that one of the ways in which we should think of the Old Testament believers is not, well, this is rather an ancient and even redundant story, but we should say, thank you, God, for their spirit of service and sacrifice for me, that they, for, for my sakes, they knew that the blessing would come to me and to people like me who in this gospel age believed on Jesus Christ and for my sakes they persevered. For my sake they lived the life they did because they were ministering in that way for the future. There's a way to make us uh, appreciate and be grateful as we read about these Old Testament believers. The task that was beyond him because the time would fail him to tell. It would really be the tale of every true Christian believer. The persons he names, and he starts off with specifics, but it quickly turns to generalities. But they all, many of them were flawed. That tells us that we need not lose heart. The things they accomplished, they did all manner of things, but it was always through faith. The pain they endured and that was through faith and the honour they obtained. So brothers and sisters, let us live the life of faith that we too might obtain like honour. And that's really what chapter 12 is going to apply to us.